The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics, power and prejudices. This year, 2024, is an election year in America, a presidential election year. And so we will be doing two podcasts a week, rather than our usual one, because we want to and because we know you can't get enough Americano in your life. I am delighted to be joined here in Chile, New Hampshire, by uh, Matt McDonald, who is The Spectator's senior managing editor. Sure, that works. That's, that's your title for now. <laughs> uh, and Zach Christensen, who is Spectator World's editor. And we are covering the primary here. Uh, and yesterday we went about a fair bit. Um, we saw Nikki Haley twice for our sins and Ron DeSantis. Um, out on the campaign trail. And, well, let me put it to you both. This feels a bit like uh, a Potemkin primary at the moment, um, because even though they're both campaigning, they're almost sort of talking in terms of defeat. Um, well, they don't. I mean, as we observed yesterday, the Nikki Haley sort of meet and greet uh, in a diner in Amherst that we went to. There were far more journalists than there were Haley fans, although there were some... Haley fans, weren't there, Matt? Yeah. I think that going into New Hampshire, everyone expected certainly the Democratic primaries to be a foregone conclusion, but they weren't expecting both primaries to be a foregone conclusion. Mm. I, the margin of Trump's victory in Iowa seems to have changed all that. The diner in Amherst, yeah, absolutely. But we, we got there about 20 minutes early and you, you kind of had to fight your way through television cameras to, to get into the diner and there were people... My favourite thing was that there were people just innocuously having their lunch who obviously had no idea that a presidential candidate was about to swing through. And so some of them were being moved from the back of the diner to the front of the diner to create the, you know, impression of a fuller a fuller shot for uh, for Haley to swing through for the for all of the, you know, CNN and, and Fox cameras. Yeah. Um, uh, similar story the day before, because the day before I went up to a, a country store in Hooksett uh, which is just north of Manchester, and you couldn't get in the, the front of the door for 12.30, which is the start, the start of the scheduled event. But that wasn't because there was uh, granite staters clamouring to meet, uh, you know, Nikki Haley, the great white, you know, the, the great hope to defeat uh, Donald Trump. It's because there are so many TV cameras there. And obviously she's, her and DeSantis have, have both made themselves pretty avail- available to the media, but that's because it seems like it's their only chance to try and get attention to build momentum to uh, meet uh, or to, you know, shave uh, anything from uh, Trump's margin of of victory. Yeah. So, uh... (laughs) well, that that said, it's easy perhaps to be too cynical about Haley's campaign because we went to this speech of hers last night and it was it was well attended. Yeah. And the the crowd, I mean, it it was slightly, they gave it, Chris Sununu, the governor here, who's a big sort of ally now, 
gave her this warm-up speech and I mean, he, uh, he slightly overdid it by talking about the energy and the excitement. And when people are talking about the energy and the excitement that much, mm-hmm. uh, often is a sign that there's not actually yeah. really any energy. Shout out to right? Yeah. But, but <laughs> I think it, well, there was some energy there. There was a bit of enthusiasm for her. Yeah, the room was full last night at the, uh, we went to the, the Doubletree, uh, there was a Doubletree ballroom in, in Manchester uh, for, a, for a Nikki Haley rally. And the room was full. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I think there were a lot of excited people there. Going back to your question though, about this being a, a Potemkin, you know, um, campaign, you you've said this over and over again when you were here in 2016 and even in 2020 mm. there were so many more people here so many more campaigns so many more reporters covering this and uh the city just seems sort of dead in a way that um it hasn't been in previous primaries mm. and so i think that that is um a little bit telling about what's going on and um it is just sort of does feel like these these victories for trump are, are already sort of in the books uh, yeah, yeah. And, and people are and um uh, and now it's about just, I think for Haley and DeSantis, certainly, it's, um, you know, how little can you embarrass yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and for Haley, it's, you know, can she get within 10 points of Trump and can she can she stretch this out? Because if she doesn't, this seems like it's pretty much over before it started. Yes. It's partly because of the debates. That the, the debates were cancelled. You know, Nikki Haley said she would only debate if she was going to debate Trump on CNN. Yeah. Trump obviously didn't do it. He's not doing the debates. And so it was left to Ron DeSantis. Well, so that was, yeah, I mean, well, that's where we were yesterday with the for the DeSantis event. We were on St. Anselm College, which was meant to be the venue for the uh, ABC debate on yeah. Thursday. And they had, you know, the big Your Voice, Your Vote, like, yeah. large kind of sculptures. And they were, they were, I overheard they were basically in the process of breaking down a $2.5 million debate set in the inside the building, uh, yeah. which we were in, which is why we, it's why the press conference took place outside. It's quite sad, isn't it? I mean, Trump yeah. has sort of sucked the life out of the primary in a way because uh, he's, you know, he's not doing these debates. Uh, he's so obviously uh, the front runner. But I did think, listening to Haley last night, I did think she talks a bit. She sounds still a lot like a nineties, noughties Republican. Certainly, I mean, I think that her her voter base and her donor base tells you that as well, yeah. right? You know, she she's sort of the a throwback to the neocon candidates of the early 2000s and the and even the 90s of um you know sort of uh strong on, on sort of national defense and strong on foreign policy and um and she is a throwback to what would have been a great candidate in 2004 or 2008 I think yeah. um which is really interesting and again you see that in you know how Wall Street and private equity and a lot of her donors are come from that world and sort of the the what used to be the establishment Republicans, mm. um, certainly now Trump and um, and and his team and um, and his supporters, I think clearly the establishment of the Republican Party now. Yeah. Um, so they sort of switched roles, uh, but she's certainly that candidate. And there's almost a sort of nostalgia to her rhetoric, you know, in, when she talks about veterans and so on, and also, uh, you know, she used this term neurostrike weapons, which sounds like Newt Gingrich talking about, you know, lasers or something. It's mm-hmm. sort of it's that kind of naughty paranoia about terrorism uh, that she's trying to revive. And in fairness, the crowd actually did respond to it. I didn't think... The room was full yesterday, but she didn't have like a blowout applause line in the whole speech, really. Yeah. Which I think maybe that's indicative of just the, the temperament of the average Nikki Haley supporter compared to like what we're used to elsewhere in politics, whether, that, whether that's with Trump or Bernie Sanders or anything else. Yeah. But yeah, it's it, it's a it's a very kind of old school approach, which seems to. I, I think one of the issues that her and DeSantis have run into is they they were trying to run campaigns that 
uh, ignoring Donald Trump and acting as if all voters want to move on from him and yeah. act like the last uh, you know eight years or so haven't happened. And that's not necessarily the smartest way to go about doing it. Uh, you, whereas you should be kind of running a campaign which is an, an acknowledgement of the successes of uh, the Trump administration or, or what Republican voters who voted for him overwhelmingly twice mm. considered to be the successes of the Trump administration rather than just kind of blowing, blowing through it and, and writing it off. And we're going to go to a uh, Trump event today and possibly tomorrow. And of course, just the scale of them is far bigger. Yeah. I mean, you know, we were sort of quite struck that Haley managed to fill out an average sized room in a hotel. Yeah. Donald Trump is going to be filling out um, stadia. Yeah. So the Trump event today is in a 6,500 uh, seat basketball arena. Yeah. Um, his event yesterday, I think, in Concord was 500 full, couldn't get any press, and you couldn't get any press in. His event on Sunday is a 300 person uh, venue, which obviously uh, it's there, you know, oversubscribed. Whereas the Haley event, I think, was probably about 300 person room, but you could, anyone could kind of get into it. It wasn't the seats were full, but like there was very much standing room. Uh, yeah. And so there's, and there's there's no there's no comparison as far as like someone who's someone who's building palpable uh, energy and support uh, and can rally in the way that Trump does. Well, uh, Ron DeSantis, who we saw yesterday, we waited uh, in the bitter cold. Mm -hmm. it, was uh, awful. it was terrible for about uh, an hour and a half. I think it's, it was fine. It was. It was an hour. He, he was meant to come at three thirty, and he eventually showed up at about four thirty because he, he was, he was doing a fox hit instead of. The and press conference that never back down had called for him. I, so. maybe, maybe I was projecting onto him, but I thought he looked grumpy, uh, disillusioned, and, you know, I, I noticed as he walked out of his car, he looked at one of his aides and just sort of said, where am I going, in a sort of snappy way. And he, uh, I mean, the logic of his campaign still worked. Everything he said, or a lot of what he said, made sense. But uh, there was only a small gaggle of people there. He's on 5% here in New Hampshire um, yes, he'll probably do better in um, other states if he goes on, but it it felt it felt sort of bitter as well mm. as flat, didn't it, Zach? Yeah, I think so, <clears throat> and I think uh, you know us waiting in not to, us waiting in in the cold for an hour, um, and he shows up and does a, a ten minute uh, little press conference. Yeah. Um, I think that also goes to show you like how poorly campaign how poorly his campaign has been run. Yeah. Um, it's just nothing's on time. Nothing that we've seen to this while well, we've been here has been on time. And he doesn't seem to want to be here. Yeah. Um, I guess I wouldn't want to be here either if I was running 8% or 5% or whatever he's at right now in New Hampshire. Having spent um, how many, how much is it? 200 billion? 200 million, yeah. yeah. It, to have spent so much and achieved so little is, is quite startling. I will say the event I went to on Wednesday before you guys got here in Derry was better attended on time. It was a little kind of like town hall Q&A with him and then Chip Roy and Thomas Massey, two, two congressmen who are their surrogates. And at that, he was, you know relaxed, answering questions well, kind of, he was quite funny, which I've never really kind of seen that much from him before. Mm. Um, but the things you notice is that, you know, th these events have got like a number of people working for him uh, in like monogrammed quarter zips from Never Back Down, his pack and, and like lots of kind of merchandise. And it seems like they've spent a lot of money kind of doing, getting nice DeSantis stash yeah. rather than actually making their candidate there was far appeal too, to people in New Hampshire. Right. There, there was far too many people with headpieces in yeah. who really didn't need them. I yes. Thought, uh, with, with they some, looked really 
powerful though. They yeah, those things in they, their they, ears. They definitely yeah, they looked really cool. Yeah, they definitely yeah. looked incredible. Like, are they are they in the Secret Service or you know when you know if you're assessing a political situation and you see like a president, you're like you try and work out who's his Secret Service body man yeah. and like they look it's quite obvious because they have the headpiece and they also like look like a military type and are jacked. Imagine it was just the headpiece. That's basically what the DeSantis and Haley set up as well. They had the headpiece thing going on as well. Yes. All the DeSantis people also were wearing hats and sunglasses. Uh, and it was, what, 4.30 and the sun had set. Uh, yeah. So they also made them look extremely tough. 17 degrees I was intimidated. I was, I was, yeah. uh, and there was two, two lines stuck out to me above all yesterday. Uh, one was uh, Ron DeSantis talking about Iowa and Trump's blowout margin and he was trying to play it down saying actually you know turnout was surprisingly yeah. low mm-hmm. voter enthusiasm isn't going to be great looking ahead to a to a general uh, looking ahead to november mm-hmm. and one thing he said he said if ronald reagan had been uh, fighting an eye he would have won 80 percent yeah trump won 50 percent, and that seems to be a sort of very odd uh, line of attack on Trump to say, you know, he's he's not as great as Reagan. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's just very obscure. I mean, what does that say about DeSantis? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't exactly. know if that's, I don't know if that's a great argument yeah. for yourself. He got 19, no, yeah. he got 19, uh, 21%, right? He got 21% and, and Haley Harold is a big success. Uh, and the other line that struck me was Haley was talking about, again, looking ahead to the general, and, and both these candidates are trying to sort of make the point that Trump is the Democrats' best hope mm-hmm. of re-election. And she said uh, that, you know, when it comes to Trump-Biden, she didn't say it, it would be or it could be a close call election or it's going to be very tight or it could be very tight. She said this is going to be a close election and mm-hmm. almost sort of subconsciously revealing uh, that she's accepted defeat. Yeah, I mean, for DeSantis, he wants Trump to blow out, uh, have another blowout victory in New Hampshire and South Carolina yeah. because he thinks that his calculus is that will knock Nikki Haley out of the race and she will then drop out. And then if DeSantis stays in, then he remains as the one alternative to Trump. And then yeah. uh, hopefully goes on and like wins some, wins some states, collects some delegates. Although, because obviously Never Back Down has spent so much money everywhere. They spent money in like Texas way before they, they should have. And, and I think maybe uh, he's counting on maybe them having some kind of infrastructure which will help him pick up uh, delegates before you head to a convention this summer, uh, by which point Donald Trump could be you know, found guilty of something in jail, more, uh, the Supreme Court may have heard a 14th Amendment case. And if a 14th Amendment, uh, if the 14th Amendment uh, excludes him after he's been found guilty of, uh, you know, aiding an insurrection uh, in the Jack Smith case, if, if the timing works for that, then that, you know, DeSantis is basically counting on something which will knock Trump out of the race by the time of the convention where they have to pick their candidate. The issue is that Nikki Haley's kind of counting on exactly the same thing happening. Yeah. So, <laughs> Well, that's it, isn't it, Zach? They're, I mean, they are both essentially, their strategy is uh, a bit like, you know, Dean Phillips on the, on the Democrat side or, or mm-hmm. you know, it's to hang around just exist uh, in the hope that something disastrous happens to one of these very old uh, and possibly, you know, prison-bound candidates. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I also think that there is, I, I think, um, a sense that Haley can pull within, you know, 10 points of Trump in New Hampshire, and maybe that will slingshot yeah. her to some some, some momentum. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, everyone's just sort of hanging around, waiting to see what happens. Yeah. Um, you don't want to drop out too early. We were talking about this yesterday. Um, you know, same thing's happening on, on the Democratic side, which is um, not, not just the candidates running, but you know, you, it's the reason why you still see activity um, that looks very presidential campaigny coming from you know Gavin Newsom in California. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we all see Biden on television 
and we see that he's you can't deny that he's deteriorating every day. It's getting worse. It's getting I mean, worse. This week was was spectacularly bad. It's uh, January, and you know if Trump is the nominee, um, he has to theoretically stand on a debate stage with Trump in October, yeah. and I can't imagine, you know, with the rate that Biden is going downhill, yeah. uh, Biden standing on a, on, a, on a debate stage with with Donald Trump in come October. Arbitrarily yes. saluting at no one like he's directed by David Lynch or something like. <laughs> Uh, well, we're about to go and see uh, Elise Stefanik, who could be uh, Trump's vice president. Um, I don't think she will. I don't think she will be. <laughs> Matt doesn't. No, Matt, not even going. You're so convinced that she's not going to be. Zach and I are going. I think she has a, a, a reasonable chance of being Trump's vice president. And it's sort of telling that, um, you know, we were talking about this with Nikki Haley yesterday, that the only conversation about Nikki Haley is not can she win in New Hampshire, really, because everybody knows she can't and she probably won't even get close. It's, you know, could Trump, you know, upset his base by picking her in an, in an attempt to appeal to more of a center ground? It seems unlikely, right? He's yeah. not, he knows that he's not going to appeal to a center ground yeah. um, in the way that Nikki Haley does. And we know that his base uh, certainly doesn't like Nikki Haley. We talked to three Trump supporters yesterday um, outside of the Haley event um, who all said, I, you know, I think, um, you know, she's paid for by BlackRock. BlackRock, Black Black, yes. Black Rock, yeah. Um, and um, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think that his base is going to accept picking somebody like, like Nikki Haley. And I don't think Trump needs, thinks that he needs somebody like Nikki Haley on the ticket to win. Yeah. I think he's going to go. I think at least Stefanik does have a, 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 you know, she's certain her name's in, the, in, in Trump's head, uh, I think, for uh, a potential pick. Yeah. Uh, let's get moving then. All right. Thank you both. Thanks for having Thanks. us. That's all for this episode of the Americano podcast. I'd like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Ferrose and urge you to leave a generous, kind, and warm-hearted review of this podcast uh, on whichever platform you listen to it. And Natasha has just reminded me uh, that if you want to be like her and work uh, for The Spectator's brilliant broadcast division, there is a job going to be a Spectator producer. It's a wonderful department and they're doing incredible things. So Natasha can now put the, uh, down the gun that is put <laughs> next to my head. Uh, do apply, I should add, uh, for this job can be found in the bit of blurb on your screen under this podcast. <laughs>